through all of this stuff. So come on up, guys. First of all, we just want to thank the whole church for the ways in which you all supported us in just giving of medical supplies, of things for the goodie bags, um, the deacons, you know, when we needed tables set up for fundraisers and garage sales and um, all of that. Um, You would be so proud of your church leadership, Pratt and Cal and Bill. They were great servant leaders throughout the whole week, Um, and we were really honored to to get to serve with them. Um, I want to show you a picture of the orphans that our church and really the kids in our church are supporting. So that's Mackinson and Calencia, their brother and sister, and... um, the big deal about this is that Mackinson is smiling. When we were there in October, he was, had, they had just come to the orphanage, and he was not a happy camper. Um, we saw a significant change in his attitude and just his demeanor, and so that was really meaningful to us. Um, we'll continue to support them as time goes on. Um, we're just grateful to be a part of this church and what you all are doing in so many different areas. And um, I'm going to let Jeff take it from here. So about 10 years ago, God gave me a dream that someday, kind of according to a schedule that I had laid out and a plan that I had laid out, that we might someday go to the mission field for an extended period of time. And for many years, it looked like everything was on course. I knew that, you know, business was going to do this, and ultimately we might sell the business and these different things. And then we would be in a position in our early 60s to basically step back and say, let's go someplace else and let's serve wherever God wants us to serve. Then 2008 happened. Didn't you remember 2008? maybe affected a few of you in here. Well, I know it affected us. And it changed the plan completely because I thought, Lord, how how are we going to pull this off? How am I going to realize my dream that I'm quite confident you've given me? Well, I kind of put that aside and we just kind of continued on with life. We left St. Louis and moved to Hilton Head and that was a big adventure for us. Uh, Got down here and thanks to the leadership of Clint and, and so many others here, we're just embraced and loved by this body of believers. And so we became members and just really felt the love and encouragement, got involved doing some small group things and stuff like that. And, you know, at the same time, we felt this restlessness that as wonderful as Hilton Head is, as beautiful a place and as blessed as we have been, there's got to be more to life than just this. That somehow life needed to be more about others and instead of just making sure that the bills got paid every month and that we could do our weekly trip to the beach and those kinds of things. So we began praying, saying, God, give us a bigger vision for our lives. And I think I shared this back in November, that we had done a, a Bible study the year before, and we were challenged to ask God for a really big dream. And we thought going to Haiti for the first time was really the answer to that prayer, and that was the culmination of the dream. And then when we got there, we were so taken by it we thought, well, God wants us to come back and encourage others to go. So we can't wait to get back to Hilton Head, 
have a chance to talk to our brothers and sisters in Christ, our church family, and say, let's get a group together and let's go. You know, and that happened. I thought, that's awesome, God. Thank you for answering that prayer. You've, you've met it. And then, through a lot of different circumstances that I don't have time to go through, but there's a four-page letter on the back table that if you haven't received it in the mail, you can pick up a copy that kind of steps through all the different things that have happened over the last several months and a couple of years. And we were faced with some friends saying that they were going to move to Haiti with their family and that they were going to go to work with Hope Medical with the idea that ultimately there would be a medical clinic on the ground. But before then, there'll be mobile clinics, and there will be teams of people from the U.S. and around the world coming down and ministering to orphans. And there'll be training for, for Haitians there to do community health and how to provide clean water and those things. And I remember coming back and telling Becky, I said, that is so exciting for Luke and Julie. But I said, but they can't go alone. And so the next day in my prayer time, I was just remember praying, saying, God, they can't go alone. He said, and? Well, somebody needs to go with them, God. And said, and? And so, I said, God, are you asking us to go? Really? God, are you sure about this? Well, I'm going to tell you right now that Becky and I have the opportunity to go and minister in Haiti and... We really feel God's call. Now, I'll tell you a couple of things that I've learned in this journey. Number one, I had a plan, but I didn't have a call. My plan was to go in a few years, and then I was going to fund it out of my pocket because I would have been so successful in business and all that. Well, you know what? God's got a different plan. To go without a call would have been sinful on my part. I now believe that we have a call. But to go without being sent would be equally as sinful. And so what we're doing today is we're putting ourselves before you and asking, do you see in us the things that are necessary to go and to be your hands and feet and the hands and feet of believers around the world on the ground in Haiti? That's what we're asking. So I feel a little naked right now. Um, it's, I've, Becky and I have talked in the past when things like this happened. I was the guy that was write the, writing the check, not asking for it. So this is a new, new ground for me. This is new territory. But just to step back real quick, the thing that probably cemented it me more than anything else when God and I were going through that wrestling match every morning for about a week, because I was sure I didn't hear him right, <laughs> he gave me a quote from Scotty Smith, uh, Pastor Bill, that, that you know and respect and he says, we're redeemed to become conduits, not merely, not merely receptacles of God's love and compassion. The rivers of his affections will not only flow into all of our relationships, but it will also take us into the dark places where poverty, ignorance, racism, oppression, hunger, nakedness, homelessness, and hopelessness thrive. Or as the hymn writer said, far as the curse is found... Is God's plan to use you and me to give his fallen world a significant taste of what it's going to be like when no longer will there be any curse? So our merciful and our mighty Father boldly proclaims, I'm making everything new. And in reading that, I said, God, I want you to use us to go make something new. So with your prayers, with the prayers and love and support of our family and our Christian brothers and sisters around the country and around the world, 
Lord willing, we want to be on the ground in Haiti in January with at least a two-year commitment to see if we can't make a change in at least a few kids and families' lives. So, thank you. Guys, we're taking a significant amount of our service today to highlight this because this is what we're praying for. We were hanging out the other night and talking that when they want to look around and go, how did this happen? You can blame me and the leadership of this church and this church because what we're praying for is God to raise up our people to go. And so guess what? Jeff and Becky weren't looking for this at one level. It found them. So be careful, folks. <laughs> God may have an incredible plan for you to do something absolutely amazing that you never dared dream or imagine could happen in your life. And so we're going to meet with them as a session and as a mission team, and it's my full hope and expectation that we're going to celebrate their going, and they're not going to have to worry about things. And that uh, there's a great passage in the scripture that says, when David came back from the battle with all the spoils of the battle, that there were people who had stayed back with the baggage and who had sent them on their way. And the warriors who were out on the field said, they don't get to share in the spoil. They didn't go to the battle. And David said, those who stay back with the baggage and send rewarded, are rewarded equally in the spoils of the war. So there is spoils of war for those who go and for those who stay and send. Let's pray now and just ask God's blessing on, on this whole thing. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Thank you that you sent your son out of all of the beauty and all of the peace of heaven into this world to redeem it. And your full expectation and your full call to us is that we would do the same, that we would go to where the curse is found and we would minister in your name. Thank you for Jeff and Becky. Thank you for their vision, for their dream, and I pray that you would confirm it day by day and moment by moment, and that we would see great things through them because of your work. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. And we're going to sing uh, a hymn that we, we didn't really sing down there, but we listened to. Cal wasn't joking. We sat on the hardest pews that I've ever sat on, and uh, we didn't understand a word, but this hymn was just awesome. So why don't we stand together and sing it out today. Let's sing together.
Amen. You may be seated. Kids, you can go to Children's Church now for a few minutes over there while we talk together about taking a risk. Taking a risk. Before we get to that, I just want to say, I love the line in that hymn when it says, the waves and winds still know. Gosh, there's a part of creation that we think is inanimate, that doesn't understand. I mean, you go speak to a tree, most likely it's not going to speak back. (laughs) But there's a sense in which all of creation knows the voice of its creator. And when Jesus says to the waves, you be still, they stop. When he says to the wind, quit blowing, it stops. That is the power of our God. And he is speaking in that incredibly powerful voice to us today. That he is speaking to you and he may be speaking to your heart and saying, be still. Quit fretting. You do realize that this doesn't gain anything. That jumping back on the gerbil wheel and running a little bit faster and a little bit faster doesn't get you any closer You're not going to find rest in those things. Your worry, your restless pacing at night, uh, your extra drink, your going and looking at at something else online, uh, your making one more deal, all of that isn't going to settle your soul. It's only the one who has a voice that says, rest, be still, and know that I am God. He's the one who brings you alive and calms you down. And so we're going to look today at a story about that voice. And it's the story uh, that we find, it's in several different places in Scripture, but we're going to be looking in Mark chapter 10. And it's the story of a blind man whose name was Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus was on the road to Jericho. There was the ancient Jericho, which was no longer populated, and there was a new Jericho that had been built up. And there was one road in and one road out. And so if people were coming to Jericho, the beggars and those who were in need or the salesmen uh, and all, they were all around that road. And so Jesus is coming there with his disciples and a large crowd that has followed him. And we're going to pick up in verse 46 and hear now the word of the Lord. And it says, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, that means he had gone into Jericho and had ministered there and done some business there, he was now leaving down that same road. As he was leaving Jericho with his disciples a great, uh, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. 
I want to set the stage because this is a true life event that took place, and you're reading it in the scriptures in black and white, and you may not catch the poignancy of what's happening, but there is this crowd that is following Jesus. Now, you know that Jesus has been ministering for now almost three full years, and that his reputation precedes him. When people said, oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth, they would have known, oh, that's the Jesus of Nazareth who has raised dead people. He's the one who has caused lepers to be cleansed. He's the one who has even touched the eyes eyes of a blind man, and he could see. This is the Jesus of Nazareth who is now coming to Jericho. And here is Bartimaeus. And I love how Mark explains it a little more. He says, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, which for a Hebrew reader would have been redundant, Bar means son, Bartim, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. And so here's the son of Timaeus who is sitting there on the road, and he's blind. Now you can imagine that as you're sitting on the road waiting each day for something to happen, you'd begin to have conversations with other people, and you would talk, and you would learn. Again, they didn't have CNN, they didn't have uh, you know, NPR, they didn't have all the stuff that you'd get all of your insights in, in, and they would talk, and I'm sure the scuttlebutt around Israel in the day was, have you heard about this new rabbi? Have you heard about this one who calls himself the son of David? The one who goes around and he is doing incredibly powerful things. He's healing people. Now that would have been pretty cool for everybody else, but think about it for a blind man. You mean there's someone who can heal me? Yes. And he's done it. We've seen it. We've heard the reports of him. And he's coming to Jericho. Imagine Bartimaeus that day would have clothed himself and gone there and with the help of his friends most likely would have been there on the road and here comes the crowd back by him and here's this Bartimaeus who had no social standing in his society at all. He was low. He was a beggar. He had nothing. And he's there and the crowd starts to walk by. And how does he speak to Jesus? Um, Jesus... uh, if it's okay, I don't want to be a bother to you. And it, it, I know, no, he's blind. It says that he cried out. It's this deep guttural scream. And he goes, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David. He's crying out, trying to get above the din of the crowd. And the disciples in all of their godliness and maturity, the leaders of the church, went up to him and basically said, and parents, let me give you a caveat for your children. Children, you are not to say this, okay? Okay, parents, I'm off the hook. Basically, what his disciples said to Bartimaeus was this, shut up! Shut your mouth! Be quiet! Basically, they're saying, don't you know who this is? He can't be bothered with you. We have to head to Jerusalem. He has to go into Jerusalem. It's the triumphal entry that's about to happen. We've got business to do. We can't bother with a little blind beggar hanging out on the side of the road. And you know what Bartimaeus said? Oh, I'm sorry. It says he yelled out even more. Why? What was his desperation? Why was he so passionate about wanting to get in touch with Jesus? Do you think he tried everything that had come across QVC? You think that he had bought it? You think that he had gone to every pool that was supposed to have miracles and he dipped himself in it? You think he tried the special mud and the special reeds and the special exercises? Do you think he repented of every possible sin that he could have repented of and every sin that his parents could have have done? Do you think he had done everything and he was now finally desperate and he had one more chance? And he was going to give it every single thing he had because he knew that he was blind and there was no hope for him. And he screamed out again. And Jesus stopped. 
You can imagine the excitement on his face. And Jesus said, go get him. And they came to him. They said, Bartimaeus, come on. And what did he do? He threw off his garment, his outer robe, and he went to Jesus. The picture is one of absolute exhilaration, one of absolute abandonment, one of basically a dead man, a blind man saying, I'm going to where I can find my sight. I'm going to where I can find life. I am so desperately thirsty, I'm running to the fountain. I'm running there to go find him. That's this picture. Guys, by the way, I'd love for you to begin to read Scripture that way. Instead of Jesus was walking down the road towards Jericho, and as he passed by, there was a blind man. Oh, a blind man, that's cool. And then when the blind man yelled at him, well, that's kind of rude of the blind man to yell at him. But I don't know why the blind man yelled at him. But then get inside the story and find out what's going on. And then, so there's the stage that is set. Then Jesus comes to him. Now remember, who is Jesus talking to? Bartimaeus. Now what's Bartimaeus' biggest problem that he's facing in his life? Anybody know? He's blind, okay? I'm giving you easy stuff. He's blind. And so Jesus comes to a blind man, and in verse 51, he makes this incredible question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, I think I have a pretty good grasp on the obvious, but I would have expected Jesus to have already got this one down. What do you mean, what do you want me to do for you? What? I mean, Bartimaeus must have been like, what? Huh? And everybody around, I've read this the first time and thought, what an odd question. Have you ever thought that? What an odd question. If you come to someone who is dying of cancer and you ask them, what do you want me to do for you? And they know that you have the secrets of being able to heal cancer. What do you think they want from you? They're cancer healed. He comes to this person and he asks this odd question. But I'm going to propose to you today that that is the most dangerous question you can ask. Because you know what? When you ask that question of someone, you cannot control their response. He didn't say, do you want me to give you money? Do you want me to go get you some lunch? Do you need a new cloak? Do you need something else? He basically open-ended it and said, what do you want me to do for you? Most of us won't ever ask that question because we're terrified of where the answer may take us because we don't know what's going on in that individual's life. And that individual may say to us, I need you to help me in this place. I need you to come and experience my pain. I want you to get enmeshed in my family dynamic. I need you to help me in my marriage. I need you to help me with my children. I need you to help me in my own life with my addiction. I need you to do this for me. I need you to do this for me. And most of us just want to say, here's a dollar. I just, I was trying to be polite. You know, the South, we're good about being polite, but not being really real. So how are you today? What we want you to say is what? I'm fine, you? Or, hey, come over any time. You ever had somebody take you up on that? <laughs> like, how rude. They showed up at my house uninvited. <laughs> I had a guy literally show up from Australia the day before Thanksgiving. And I was like, what are you doing here? He said, well, you told me when we were together in Hawaii that to come by any time I was near. And I was coming from New York to Florida. So that's near North Carolina. It's like, I didn't mean it. <laughs> I don't even like you. And he stayed for four days, ate all of our food, offended my family, and then left. 
But what I realized was we, I don't like asking open-ended questions because you get drug into things. It gets messy. And what Jesus is trying to teach at one level in the middle of all of this is are you willing to enter in to the mess of someone else's life and minister to them? Are you willing to allow variables to be there that you cannot control, that may push you outside uh, of how we've manicured our lives? Most of us are unwilling to do that. So most of us will never ask the question. Jeff and Becky asked a dangerous question of God. What do you want, me to, what do you want us to do for you? And he said, I'd like you to go to Haiti. What else do you want us to do for you? Would be most of us. But it's this, wait. Because when you basically say, what, what is it? You're drawn in. So I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts. And I'm going to help you in this way. To basically say, you will only ask that question and you will only be willing to get messy in the story if these few things uh, are happening in your life. And if they're not, you'll never ask the question. And here's those things. First, if you're going to ask that question, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? The first thing you have to acknowledge is this. You need to see yourself as Bartimaeus. You will never ask another person to enter into their pain, to enter into their brokenness, to enter into their devastation if you don't first recognize that your life was broken, you were blind, you were devastated, and you were nothing more than a beggar on the side of the road who has no ability in and of himself or herself to save yourself. That you have to relate with Bartimaeus. You have to see yourself as no better than Bartimaeus. We have to look at Bartimaeus and not stand above him, but to stand beside him or even under him. And recognize that it is all by the power of God. And I have nothing in and of myself. Because if there is an ounce of pride and an ounce of anything else in you, you will always condescend yourself to another person. You may help them. But in the helping them, you're judging them. And you're making yourself feel better through it. You're using them. The first thing that has to happen in our lives is there has to be a brokenness. There has to be a realization that we're just like Bartimaeus. And the sin in our lives that blocks that more than any other sin, and it's the sin that no one confesses. I've had people come to my office and confess pornography, to confess adulterous affairs, confess that they're lying, that they've stolen, that they've cheated, that they've done this and they've done that. I promise you, I have never had anybody in all of my ministry years come into my office and say, Bill, Reverend McCutcheon, Pastor Bill, however you want to address me, this is what I'm struggling with. I'm a prideful person. And pride will block you from ever humbling yourself enough to think that you're just like Bartimaeus. The first step to really beginning to engage the needs and hurts of others is to recognize your own brokenness, hurts, and needs and your inability to fix them on your own. And God has to break through our pride in that. And it's humbling, isn't it? Some of you are here today for the first time and maybe the only time after this one because I'm basically saying to you, you're not all that. You look really nice today, but that's not getting you into heaven any quicker. You've done a lot of good things in your life, but that's not getting you into heaven any quicker. There was one pastor who said this. He said, it's not so much our, our terrible sins that we need to repent of, but our damnable good works. 
We need to repent of our righteousness and our goodness and how good we are and to be broken down and to see us just like Bartimaeus. So that's the first thing we need to do. We need to see ourselves as Bartimaeus. And then in seeing ourselves as Bartimaeus, we need to see Jesus just like he did. He saw Jesus as his only hope, as his only source of recovery, as his only place of life. Most of us see Jesus as one of many, or maybe as the last chance. If you want your heart truly turned over inside of you, in the breaking of your own pride, in the breaking of mine, we come down to a place, and then when Jesus passes by and he goes by, we are not going to let him get by without us stopping him. If you truly believe that you are on the way to hell today on the express lane, without Jesus. And I'm offering to you Jesus and saying it's this simple. As he passes by, grab his cloak and say, I believe in you. I believe in you. Don't leave me. Every one of us would hit the ground. But most of us are going, I'm not all that bad and he's not all that and I'll get to him maybe one day when things maybe get a little worse or maybe I need him on my deathbed. I got two emails today. Two folks died. They didn't know today was their day, but they passed away. Do you have that desperation of looking at Jesus and saying, I don't have any other hope except in him? And then you cry out to him. And remember Bartimaeus' cry. Was it a little bitty cry? Was it a, hey, help me if you don't mind? I need some just a little more oomph along the way. Or maybe, oh, here's a good one. It was your bumper sticker cry. Jesus, I'd like for you to be my co-pilot. Or is it, Jesus, I'm ruined. And I have absolutely no other hope except in you. Would you save a sinner such as me? Would you keep me from going to hell? Would you keep me from dying a life that didn't have you in it? Would you open my blind eyes? Would you soften my hard heart? Would you do a work in me that I can't do in myself, but I so desperately want? Would you do that, and I am going to keep crying out, and I'm going to keep reaching out, no matter what the obstacles are in front of me, until you turn and you look at me and you go, your faith has made you whole. You know, folks, it's not what you do, it's what you believe. Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe that He is the one who saves sinners? That He saves you and me and nobody else does? Because if 2008 taught you anything, and some of you are old enough to remember 1987, that should have taught you a few things. And some of you are even old enough to remember another crash earlier in another century uh, that may have taught you or your parents something. It's this. This world is not going to save you. But Jesus says, I will. And so, if you want to be willing to ask that question, you've got to first see yourself like Bartimaeus, as desperately in need of a Savior. And then go running to that Savior in desperation and in faith, believing in Him only for your salvation. And then, after that, when He says, your faith has made you whole, guess what Bartimaeus did? I can go get a tea time and hang out on the beach, and life is good. It says he got up. Jesus said, it's interesting what Jesus told him, and he disobeyed Jesus. Jesus told him, now Bartimaeus, you go on your way. And it says Bartimaeus got up and he followed him. Why would you want to go with anybody else? 
Why would Bartimaeus want to go with anybody else other than the one who gave him dignity, who spoke into his brokenness, who gave him life? If he wanted to be with anybody, it would be with Jesus. And so if you're willing to do these things, you're going to see yourself as broken. You're going to believe in Jesus and cry out to him for salvation. And then when he says to you, you are saved, you're mine, guess who you're going to follow? Him and him alone. And as you're going along the way, guess what it frees you to do? Ask questions of everybody you see. Because you know, I imagine that a blind man who received his life has an incredible sensitivity to other blind people. Do you think Bartimaeus ever walked by another blind person without stopping and looking at him and going, I've been right where you are. I've been right there. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you about a Savior who came by and he spoke to me and now I can see. But even if he doesn't physically heal you, I can tell you how he'll heal your heart so that one day you'll be in heaven where you'll gain all of your sight. You see, a person who has been truly freed from their sins and their addictions and all of those things is incredibly broken and restored, has a sensitivity to others around him. You know those kind of people, don't you? So here's a question for you. Are broken, blind, and desperate people attracted to you? Are they attracted to you? Do they come to you? And if the answer is no, then most likely you're not asking the right question or you're asking the question, but they know you're not sincere in it. So how can I help you? Well, I'm just, get a job. Work a little harder. Quit playing the system. Do this, and you try to fix them. Versus saying, let me come in to your hurt with you. See, Jesus taught us a fantastic lesson here. And it's this. Ministry is messy. It's involved in messy, broken lives. And the beauty of our Savior is that he left the beauty and all of the pristine nature of heaven, entered right into the chaos so he could redeem it. He didn't stand outside of it and speak to it. He entered into it. And now, as those who are in this chaos and in the midst of our own chaos and brokenness have been redeemed, guess where he sends us back? Back into the mess. Back into the mess of broken lives. I don't know how to fix addiction. I don't know how to fix broken marriages. I don't know how to deal with kids who are rebellious or parents who are rebellious or or things that are going on in our lives. But I do know this. I know one who does. And so my role in your life and the lives of others who come to me is to point them to him. And to say, let me tell you a story about this one person that I know. His name's Bill McCutcheon, and he was an idiot of idiots. He had everything given to him in life, and he didn't like any of it. And he rebelled against his God, and he rebelled against his parents, and he rebelled against everything. But the gracious nature of my God is this, that he came down, and he penetrated my hard heart, and he turned it towards him. And he said, Bill, I got you, and I'm never going to let you go. Will you trust me? And I said, yeah. And so guess what I tell other people? That's the kind of God who wants your heart to. He wants to come in. He'll answer all your intellectual questions at some point or another, in some way or another. He'll answer some of those things, but a lot of them he won't. And you've got to say, do I believe? Because otherwise, folks, we're just a church that stands on the outside trying to give pat answers to questions that aren't even being asked. 
Or are we going to be a church that's broken and restored and forgiven and then set up to go, we want to love you and minister to you? So here's a question. Are you willing to ask of others around you, what do you need me to do for you? Because Jesus is asking that of you today. Let's pray. God, what a powerful story. It exposes our hearts. We don't like to relate to Bartimaeus. It's humbling. It, it's, it's below us. But Jesus, you said just before these verses that the Son of Man came to serve and not to be served, to come and to pay a ransom for many. And God, we pray now that as we have been served and have been ransomed from our sin and from our bondage and from our fallenness, that now we would go out and we would speak words of life and truth and dignity to those who are around us that we would speak the gospel in such a way that many would come to faith in you and they would see incredible breakthroughs in their lives and the blind would see and the lame would walk and the dead would be raised. Father, we thank you for doing that to us, that you didn't pass us by, but you stopped and you spoke and now we follow. To Christ be the glory in all things. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Mm -hmm.